0: Hebrews chapter 12, and we're reading the first two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's often said that context is the key to interpretation. So the question is this, what is the context, what is the arena, In what way do you as a Christian interpret your life? What shapes how you live? What are the things that influence the decisions you make? When things turn rough, what do you look to? What are the things in your life that most shape and form your life as you live it? Do you think yourself of living in the midst of a secular society, and that is what shapes your life? Or do you think yourself as part of a family in which you grew up in, the neighborhood in which you live, a racial group, socioeconomic class, However you answer this question, who and what you live in light of will dramatically shape your manner of living. But the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 12 suggests a far different context than they have listed. He suggests that Christians should think themselves as surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who bear testimony to faith in the Lord. If you are a believer, he says, this is the context which you should see yourself. This is the body to which you belong and whose approval you should desire this is the audience as it were before whom you live a great arena filled with the beloved of god the faithful of all ages and now is the day when you're running your race the main verb in hebrews 12 1 and 2 is to let us run there's three participles that modify this verb And provide the reason and means and manner in which we as Christians are to run. The first one is, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The second is, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Then the third is, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We'll look at each of these in turn. So first, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I want to read with you Hebrews chapter 11. So we understand what is meant by this great cloud of witnesses. And as I read this cha- Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to bring to mind all these heroes of the faith, their stories, what they went through, and how they are commended here in Hebrews chapter 11. Because this is meant to encourage us. So Hebrews 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. that he should not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and be, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she had considered him faithful who promised. Never from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable strains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who seek thus to make it clear that they were seeking a homeland, they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war were poor enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Then we go into our text. This is the cloud of witnesses we just read about. But here in would therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this, this, all these witnesses are the ones we just read about. In Hebrews chapter 11, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So our text in Hebrews 12 is closely connected with the preceding chapter, which we just read, but it uses the word therefore. The heroes of chapter 11 endured and overcame by faith, in like manner, we as Christians must do the same. The hero, heroes in chapter 11 uh, as witnesses has been interpreted in two ways. Some think that besides these heroes being faithful witnesses in the past, now they are witnessing from heaven the lives of present believers. But the overall context favors the meaning to be me that their lives have borne witness to the faith focus here is on the importance of current believers learning from those who have gone before, not of those who have gone before watching current believers. It is what we see in them, not what they see in us. That is the writer's main point. We read Noah, Abraham, Moses, and all the others who have gone before us, endured trials before us, and showed great faith. They ran with endurance. They ran their race with endurance. And this is how you should conceive your life. If you are in Christ, you belong to this noble company of God's people. Living in this world, but glorifying God through faith. This is the context of your life. You're surrounded by those who you spend eternity with. Those who will be your brothers and sisters long after everything else is consigned to judgment. And these are the voices we should hear. And conform to the pattern of faith. Not to the pattern of this world brothers and sisters this world here will be the worst place you live but it will not last forever we have the promise of a new heavens and earth how are you running your race do you take comfort from all the faithful saints who ran before you during all sorts of hardships perse- persecutions and even death for their faith A.W. Pink writes, If all the saints of God lived, suffered, endured, and conquered by faith, shall not we also? If the saints who lived before the incarnation, before the redemption, was accomplished, before the high priest entered the heavenly sanctuary, trusted in the midst of discouragement and trials, how much more ought we who know the name of Jesus? In chapter 11, as we read it, we saw many aspects and characteristics of a life of faith. We saw that a life of faith is an intensely practical thing, consisting of very much more than daydreaming or being regaled with joyous emotions, or even just resting in orthodox views of the truth. We saw that by faith, Noah built an ark. Abraham separated from his idolatrous neighbors and gained a rich inheritance. Moses forsook Egypt and became the leader of Israel's host. We saw that by faith the Red Sea was crossed, Jericho captured, Goliath slain, mouth of lions closed, violence of fire was quenched. A spiritual faith then is not a passive thing but an active, energetic, a vigorous and fruitful one. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In our text a Christian is likened to an athlete. And his life to running a race. This is one of the number of figures used in the New Testament to describe the Christian life. Believers are likened to shining lights, branches of a vine, soldiers, pilgrims in the Bible, but also to running a race or being a racer. This figure of race occurs in several different places. But I'll read you a couple instances starting with 1 Corinthians nine, twenty-four to twenty-seven. This will help us understand what it means to run a race. So 1 Corinthians nine, twenty-four to twenty-seven. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives a prize. So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And the second one I'll read is from 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, the principal thoughts suggested by the figure of a race are self denial and discipline, and vigorous exertion, and persevering endurance. The Christian life is not a life of passive waiting around, but of active fighting the good fight of faith. We are called to run a race, to run has to receive the reward. And the race that we are in as Christians is that life of a faith and obedience, the pursuit of personal holiness. Turning from sin in the world to faith and trust in Christ is not the finishing point of our race, but is only the starting point or the starting gate of the race. The Christian race begins at the new birth and doesn't end until we are summoned to leave this world. The ground to be covered is our journey through this life. And the track itself is set before us marked in the Bible. There are rules to be observed. There's a path to be traveled. There are difficulties to be overcome and dangers to be avoided. But the source and the secret of the needed strength are all plainly revealed in the Bible the prime thought of the Christian race is not that of speed, but of self-discipline, of wholehearted endeavor, of endurance. Christianity consists in directing all our energies into holy actions. The flesh, the world, and the devil are all against us. That's only intense effort, of course, by the spirit, that we can overcome it. But it's also a regulated exertion to run around in a circle, a strenuous activity, but it will not bring us to a goal. We must follow strictly to God's prescribed course. In 2 Timothy 2.5, it says, an athlete is not crowned unless he is competing according to the rules. This is true of the Christian race as well. We can only enter it through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And we can only run the race in obedience to God and what he says in his word. And it's also a progressive exertion. There's supposed to be, there should be a growth in grace. And adding of faith to virtue as we see in 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. Where it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to run with endurance the race that is before us. When we only run when we are anxious to get to a certain place. The word run that presupposes the heart set on a goal. course, the goal for Christians is complete deliverance from the power of indwelling sin and that perfect conformity to the image of Christ. Entrance into the promised rest in time to be with our Savior for an eternity. That is the goal that we are to keep steadily in view. That is what we run for. We run for Christ. If we look back or down, we will halt or stumble. If we look at the roughness of the way or difficulties along the way, we will be discouraged. But straining and striving to keep the prize Jesus Christ in view will help us to steady endeavor, to endurance. We are to look to the example of saints who have gone before us, the cloud of witnesses, the saints that have endured all sorts of trial, even death, and remained faithful. Which brings us to our second point. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This now expresses the means we are to run. We are to run by means of having laid aside. The word for weight here refers to anything that impedes or hinders the runner's progress. In the first century AD, runners ran in the stadium virtually naked they would enter wearing long flowing colorful robes at the start of the race they would be discarded or laid aside so they could run much faster in like manner we are exhorted to discard anything that weighs us down and hinders us from running our race this word here for weight can be inclusive of things that are sinful, but also of things that are not. Simply to mean everything that is holding us back from running well. This phrase, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, is parallel with, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, in Matthew 16:24. And let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. This lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely is a call to the daily mortification of our hearts to all that would mar our communion with Christ. Everything which requires us to take time and strength away from God-appointed duties, everything which tends to focus the mind on earthly things and hinders our affections from being set on things above is to be cheerfully relinquished for Christ's sake. But we also need to take see that our text makes no reference dropping of duties that we have no right to lay aside the performance of real legitimate duty that god calls us to is never a hindrance to the spiritual life though from a wrong attitude of mind and the allowance of the spirit of discontent they can become so the things that god calls us to do we are to do Many think that they would make much more progress spiritually if only our circumstances were altered. And this is a mistake, and we need to be careful of murmuring against God's providential dealings with us. He shapes our circumstances as helpful discipline to our souls. And only as we learn to rise above circumstances and walk with God in them are we running the race that is set before us. The person is the same no matter what circumstances they are in. While well, the weights in our text have no reference to those duties which God requires us to do, he never calls us to do anything which would draw us away from communion with himself. They can apply in a very real sense to a multitude of cares which many of us can impose upon ourselves. We need to be careful with social media, society, what the world imposes, because these things can make many weights for us we accept that skill of duties which the world imposes, we can find those weights which will seriously impede our spiritual progress. By weights then, we can be understood every form of wrong or immoderate and hurtful use of the things which God has given us to richly to enjoy. God has placed many things in this world for our enjoyment as well as for the bare supply of our body needs, so we need to remember this because there is a danger, as everywhere, of lopsidedness. We need to be, always be balanced. Each Christian, by an honest searching of the scripture and an earnest seeking of wisdom from God, must examine what are weights which hinder him. It is not the lawful use of God's gifts and creation, but the abuse of them which scripture condemns. A weight is something that we are at liberty to cast aside, but which instead we choose to retain. To be able to say with Paul, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. As we have already pointed out, the weights are external temptations which have to be resisted or laid aside. They can be habits which are to be dropped. And the sin, as referring to indwelling corruption... And it's true that each of us has some sin we are more prone to. But we need to be aware of what sin that easily besets ourselves and how to fight against them. But how is a Christian to lay aside in dwelling sin? Well, we read in Ephesians 4, verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or in Romans 6 we read, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. In other words, by face recognition of your legal oneness with Christ, by drawing on his fullness, indwelling sin is to be laid aside by daily mortification. Romans 8.13 says if you live according to the flesh you will die, but if you live By the Spirit, you'll put to death the deeds of the body, and there is life. God has given us a helper in this. The Spirit of God. It is through the Spirit of God that we are able to put to death sin. He's the one that gives us power. If we live by the Spirit, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. Perseverance or endurance is what needed for running the race. And patience. We are told to be followers of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Just a little, a little earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews six twelve, The race we are running is a lengthy one. It extends through our whole life here on earth. The course is narrow and to our flesh it is rough. this needed endurance to run this race comes by heeding the encouragement which is set before us in our text. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us, this is mentioned as an incentive to console and assure us we are not alone. We are in this race together and need to encourage and build each other up in this race. In likening these numerous witnesses to a the cloud, there could be a reference to the cloud which guided Israel in the wilderness. They followed it all the way to Canaan. As they followed the cloud to the promised land, so must we follow the example of faithful saints in their faith, obedience and endurance. We who have still to walk the narrow path which alone leads to glory, are encouraged and instructed by the cloud of witnesses. The innumerable company of saints who testified amid the most varied circumstances of suffering and temptation. Let the just live by faith, and faith is the victory which overcomes the world. The memory of those children of God whose lives are recorded for our learning and consolation animates us and we feel upheld as it were by their sympathy and by their consciousness that although few and weak strangers and pilgrims on earth we belong to a great and mighty a victorious army part of which already entered into the land of peace by seeing those the cloud of witnesses by following their example of faith seeing how they put away sin and weights which encompass them encourages us to run with endurance. And this brings us to the second verse of our text, Hebrews twelve two, where it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this verse is introduced with our third phrase, Looking to Jesus. The structure of this sentence in the Greek indicates focused attention in the sense of to look away from everything else and focus on an object of person, which of course is Jesus. And the present tense of this commands action as with the main verb, let us run. We are to model our lives after Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith. There is no circumstance, no difficulty, no temptation for this is not a reliable guide looking to Jesus. This is the secret of the Christian life, the encouragement we need for our faith, to place our eyes not on the world with enticements and threats, not even on ourselves with our petty successes and many failures, but on him who is a source and fountain of all our spiritual vigor. John Owen writes a constant view of the glory of Christ will revive our souls and cause our spiritual lives to flourish and thrive. The more we behold the glory of Christ by faith now, the more spiritual and the more heavenly will be the state of our souls. The reason why the spiritual life in our souls decays and withers is because we fill our minds full of other things. But when the mind is filled with thoughts of Christ and his glory, these things will be expelled. This is how our spiritual life is revived. This verse completes verse two. Here completes the important exhortation found in verse one. We saw, of course, that the Christian life, the life of faith and obedience, is presented under the figure of a race, is one of activity, exertion, and progressive motion. We saw or we heard that faith that works is dead. To follow the appointed race or track means our energies be directed by precepts or rules of the Bible. And the order presented in Hebrews 12 is the negative before the positives. There must be a laying aside of hindering weights before we can run the race set before us. This order is fundamental and is emphasized all through scripture. There must be a turning from the world before there can be a real turning unto the Lord. Self must be denied before Christ can be followed. There must be a putting off of the old man before there can be a true putting on the new man. There has to be a denying ungodliness and, un- and worldly lust before we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And the cloud of witnesses we read about is not the object on which our heart is fixed. They testify of faith and we cherish their memory with gratitude and walk with a firmer step because of their lives. But our eye is not fixed on the many, but on the one. Not on the army, but the leader. Not on the servants, but the Lord. We are to focus on Jesus, and from him we derive our strength. In all things, Christ has the preeminence. He is placed here not among the other racers, but as the one who instead of... Exemplifying certain characteristics of the faith that's dated is the author and finisher of faith in his own person. We have seen in our text here the context of our life of faith and how the calling of our life of faith and the calling of our life of faith but now he sets before us the encouragement our faith requires. Looking to Jesus. And there are several ways this verse encourages us. First, it shows us Christ as the example for our faith. The Greek word translates that founder can be rendered forerunner or pioneer. It describes one who goes forward to blaze, who goes ahead to blaze a trail and overcome barriers. And the word perfecter brings across the idea that Jesus is the supreme and perfect example of faith. Especially since the text speaks of the faith rather than our faith. Christianity consists in being conformed into the image of God's Son, looking unto Jesus consistently, constantly, trustfully, submissively, and lovingly. In him is the power from him must be received the strength for running with endurance to race. Genuine Christianity is a life lived in communion with Christ, a life lived by faith as his was. And we should know this verse here focuses on the ordeal of the cross. Where Jesus' faith in God was put to the greatest test And given the most brilliant display. Religious authorities said of him on the cross in Matthew 27, 43, he trusts in God. They were mocking him. Yet how true it was. Jesus endured both suffering and shame on the cross. It was by faith that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, persevering to his appointed end, and thus entering into his glory in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, because he faithfully endured suffering and did not fear the world's contempt. This provides an example for us, that we would bear the cross in our own lives, that we would not be ashamed First Peter two twenty one says, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. How important it is then that we are looking to Jesus. James Boyce writes, The only thing that will ever get us moving along this path of self-denial and discipleship is fixing our eyes on Jesus and what he has done for us coming to love him as a result, and thus wanting also to be with him more and more. Jesus is our only possible model for self-denial. He is the very image of cross-bearing, and it is for love of him and the desire to be like him that we take up our cross and willingly follow him. We also see in our verse here that Jesus is our example in not only in perseverance, but also in spiritual joy. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is an amazing statement and speaks much of his faith. Jesus took great joy in doing his Father's will. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And Jesus also looked forward to his future reunion with the Father in heaven and to receiving his delight with greatest joy he rejoiced at the knowledge of what his suffering and death would accomplish. Namely, the redemption of a people to himself. In short, Jesus rejoiced because he saw the crown beyond the cross. It's in this same vein that the Apostle James writes, Apostle James writes to us, "Counted all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We should rejoice in trials because by enduring, we gain the crown that waits beyond the trial. And Jesus is not only the example of our faith, but he is also the object of our faith. He waits at the finish line for us. It is to him and for him that we run. We endure and persevere because we want to know him and join him and share the blessings of his salvation This again explains why the cross is emphasized here. For the cross is not only the greatest example of Jesus' faith, but also the focus of our faith in him. We see his blood shed for our forgiveness. We see the wrath of God spent on him. and We find our safety there, our righteousness at his cross. To be a Christian means to rely on his atoning blood, on his finished work for our salvation. And to hold this gospel as the great treasure of our heart. We want to be faithful to him. We desire to please and serve him. And we would endure to the end so we spend eternity with him. This again is what Paul says of his own ambition in Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not forget that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the example and the object of our faith. He is the joy we look forward to. The joy of being with Christ, free of sin, This is a goal we run for. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the source of our faith. It is in this sense that the translation founder and perfecter of our faith has real merit. Jesus is not merely an example like some long dead hero, nor is he uh, the object of our faith as a mere philosophical idea. Rather, he is the active recipient of our faith, active in, in inspiring and empowering faith in us, Because he lives now. Faith in Christ produces union with the living God. Who reigns in the heavens. Therefore when we fix our eyes on him. He works in us by his power. Sending the Holy Spirit to sustain us in our trials. This encouragement of looking to Jesus. Is vitally important. In this difficult race. That we're on. Those who fix their gaze on the world. And the things of the world. Will be conformed to its pattern. But in an even more powerful and reliable way, those whose eyes is fixed on Jesus will find themselves changed into his pattern. Not merely because of the working of our own hearts, but because of his active and transforming work through the Holy Spirit. With our eyes fixed on him, we are, Paul says, being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. How essential it is we grasp this principle that we are looking to Jesus. We are encouraged and empowered in our faith as we look to Jesus Christ, the great example of our faith, the object of our faith, and the source of our faith, its author and finisher, as he reigns with power from on high in us and for us. If you have never looked to Jesus in faith, if you have yet to enter this godly calling of those who follow him, I exhort you to look to Jesus Christ today, to turn from your sin, to repent of your sin and look to Jesus in faith. For if you don't repent, if you don't turn to Jesus in faith, there is no crown for you at the end, but only judgment, the wrath of God, and eternal destruction and punishment for your sins. So I plead with you today, if you're not in Christ, to turn to Christ and find life. So what are the things that hinder Christians from running? An active devil, an evil world, indwelling sin, mysterious trials, and all kinds of fierce opposition. We were then to call to mind the great cloud of witnesses. They were men like us. They encountered the same difficulties and discouragements. They met with the same kinds of... hindrances and obstacles but they ran with endurance they overcame they won the victor's crown how by looking to jesus but we are also to look away from difficulties we see this example in romans 4 19 speaking of abraham where it says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb Nothing is impossible with God. We need to turn our eyes from ourselves, from our weaknesses, from the troubles of this world, to him who has left us an example to follow and whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is able to strengthen the weak, supply our every need. We need our hearts to be centered on and our minds stayed on him. The more we are looking to Jesus, the easier it will be to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race before us. In conclusion, I want to look at verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12, a cure for weary hearts, where it says, Consider to him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We find in this verse a cure for weary hearts, Here the writer of Hebrews anticipates a problem and prescribes its cure. This verse assumes something believers know all too well, namely that from time to time we all get discouraged. Especially when we're faced with prolonged difficulty or trials, even the strongest Christians can experience spiritual depression. The cure for this, he says, is to consider Jesus in his own struggle with the opposition of the world. This may sound similar to, ex- to the exhortation in verse 2 to fix your eyes on Jesus. But there is a difference in emphasis here. In verse 2, the Greek word meant to look away from one thing to another. The emphasis was to keep looking away from distractions and to, and to fix our eyes on Jesus. Here in verse 3, the writer uses a different word. A word which means to consider intently. The point here is that we should meditate on or reflect on, take stock of Jesus' life and death as it relates to our own struggle. And especially remember how God ordained his suffering for his glory. We are to remember that beyond the cross there lays a crown. It was so for our Lord and it will be so for us. As Paul writes, Doing the very thing our text suggests, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is, is to be revealed to us. That is the cure for our hearts when we grow weary in this long race of the life of faith. And how do we consider Jesus? We consult the Bi- what the Bible has to say about him. We read the gospel accounts and learn what Jesus said and did and how God delivered him. We read the epistles which explain the significance of his life and death and resurrection. In the Old Testament, we see Christ in his work as he is prophesied and represented by various types and symbols. And this is the very thing we find our Lord doing for his disciples in the gospel accounts. Perhaps the best way to conclude, especially as we were reminded here that they all direct us to Jesus is with an account that appears in Luke chapter 24. And I encourage you to all to read this chapter tonight or sometime soon. In Luke 24, we learn of two downcast disciples walking away from Jerusalem on the very day Jesus was resurrected. They were weary and had lost heart. But unknown to them, Jesus himself, risen from the grave, came alongside them on the road. Jesus asked what they were talking about. And Luke tells us in verse 17, they stood still, looking sad. And this is how Jesus sometimes finds us, discouraged and standing still instead of running our race. These two disciples told Jesus about a man from Nazareth they thought would be the Messiah, but they added he had been arrested and killed, and they did not understand the confusing reports they had heard about him being seen afterward. Jesus responded to it, ...to them by pointing them to scripture. Verse 27, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets... ...he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus did for them, we are to do for ourselves. Seeking and finding Jesus. Finding him and contemplating his life and ministry in the script pages of the Bible. And when the party arrived at their destination... ...Jesus revealed himself to the disciples and then miraculously disappeared. Yet in spite of this direct encounter with the risen Lord and his dramatic disappearance, the two disciples now greatly encouraged, marveled not at Jesus' supernatural appearance and disappearance, but at the things they seen in the scriptures. They said to each other in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is what we need when we find that our hearts have grown cold on the long and sometimes difficult race that is our calling as Christ's disciples. We open the scriptures and Jesus teaches us of himself, no less than he did for those two disciples. And as we consider him and his sufferings for us His victory over sin and death, Our hearts too are warmed and even burned within us. This is what makes us rejoice as we should. This is what sets the joy before us as we run the race. If you want to live that way with that kind of joy and power, then we must fix our eyes again on Jesus, not on this world or anything in it, not on all the troubles that surround us, but on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Think of all that Jesus endured Think of the hostility encountered. Think of that bitter cup of God's wrath he drank for you. He did it all for the joy that was set before him. Should we not follow the same example, looking to Jesus? Let's pray.